Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. So when we study the Bible, when we study Bible characters, sometimes we see patterns that emerge. From the life of Moses, other Bible characters as well, our, our lives included as well. There, there's a pattern of building up, breaking down, and then blessing. As in, we are um, built up, we are broken down, and then after we are humbled and we, we surrender into the hands of God, then we are, are blessed. Somehow, our stories and our interruptions and our experiences, um, it becomes the context of our, our blessings. Um, so, uh, we're in Moses, we're continuing his story, and this morning I invite you to have the view of God uh, that goes like this, that God is near to us, that even you know, when we don't always uh, know it, see it, or feel it, you know, God is with us, God is near us. Oh, and by the way, if we need to be doing something because of this tornado, somebody just raise your hand and we can get away from windows. I do want to take that seriously. Um, God is with us in our, our building up. God is in us, with us in our brokenness. And he's certainly with us in our, in, when, when he blesses us. So let's, uh, let's recap here. I'll try to get, get back on the, the rails here. Uh, Moses, uh, he, he is a Hebrew. He grew up as a prince of Egypt. And then he eventually turned into a, a fugitive and he was on the run. And then we find Moses, he is a shepherd on the far side of the wilderness, and he sees a bush on fire. Now, we've all seen burning bushes before, but this one is different because it's not being consumed. And so it catches his attention. He goes over, and it turns out God is using this. Uh, speaking to Moses, God introduces himself to Moses as the God of his father, the God of his family, okay, the God of Abraham, Isaac. And Jacob. So we're going to pick up the story in Exodus chapter 3. And we're going to start with verse 7. God lets Moses know that he's really aware of the whole situation. And what situation is that? Is that the whole Hebrew people are, are wrapped up in oppressive slavery in Egypt. God is aware of the situation. God is not far removed. God is not taking a nap. He has observed their misery. He's heard their crying out. He knows their suffering. And he's now making a move to bring rescue. And so brothers and sisters, we can pick up on this. Uh, If we want to join in and be liberators and and rescuers and agents of healing and, and redemption and people who bring hope and good news, then we can take a cue from God here. Let us also be observant. Let us be listeners. Let us be knowledgeable of a context. You see, lofty theoretical Christianity, that doesn't get us close enough. You know, we need a Christianity that has feet on the ground. So seeing and knowing and hearing, this is all part of the process of how we participate in the good news that that Jesus brings rescue. So God is on a move. God is on a mission to rescue the Hebrews from 
from Egypt, the, the Egyptian pharaoh and all of that. And now he wants to bring them to a land that is good and spacious, a land that is flowing with milk and honey. Milk and honey. That's like a land with a lot of goats, because it's probably goat's milk we're talking about. And who makes honey? Bees make honey. So a lot of goats and bees. That's, that's where we're headed. A land that is good and spacious. Now, the Hebrew name for Egypt, the root word, actually means, like, tight or narrow, okay? So, God is saying, I'm going to get you out of this tight spot. I'm going to bring you to a land that is good and spacious. It's flowing with milk and honey. You know, there's plenty of of room to to grow and, and move around and be free There's so much space to to flourish. It's it's quite the opposite of oppression. Milk and honey. It also could be like a heavy fruit syrup that they're talking about. But um, this is symbol here. Abundant fertility, provisions, nourishment, sweetness, pleasure. And so this, this new promised land here, it's going to become very important to the Old Testament storyline. Okay? Now, I'm not going to call it Eden 2.0, but this land, this promised land, certainly has the potential for human flourishing. Verse 10 here, God says, So now go, so now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, I know some of you don't really need many instructions. You're the, hey, we're going to figure this out as we go kind of person. Some of you, details are your best friend, and, you know, you're going to ask a bunch of questions because you want clarity on the scope of the project. Now, if God said to you, so now go, how would you respond? We all map differently on where we'll be. Like, some of us will be, like, super confused. Some of us will be confident. Some of us will be really confident, but, but maybe a little reluctant. You know, we'll, we'll be a mixture of, of responses here. And so Moses, as we find out in verse 11, Moses is very unsure of himself. And he responds, who am I? Who am I that I should go? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Hebrews out of Egypt? Moses doesn't see how he fits into this picture. But I actually, I, I just, I really love the, the humanity here on display because, you know, sometimes when a task is presented to us, we question not our ability or our availability, but like we question from a deeper place of like who we are, like, like an identity piece, like who am I? Who am I, Lord? And all of us here, like we, we have have these struggles before. Who am I that I deserve this or that I get to do this? Or who am I that... Like, who, who am I? And I really like God's answer. God says, I will be with you. Now, what do you think? It almost like doesn't really matter who Moses is. That's almost like how it sounds. Like, like what really matters is that God is going to be with him. God will certainly be with Moses. And then God gives this foreshadow. He's like, all right, I'm sending you. 
And when you bring all the people back, you're going to be right here back on this mountain, and you're going to be worshiping me. And that's a, that's a big point to, to notice. While God certainly cares for Moses and, and is certainly shaping Moses in his identity, Moses isn't going to be the hero of the story. Moses isn't the liberator, the true liberator. God is. And God's like, when you all get back to this mountain, you'll be worshiping me because of who I am, because of what I'm going to do. So yes, Moses, I care about who you are, but please know, and please know, you're the guy I've picked, and I will be with you. And so, brothers and sisters, the next time God is asking you to do something, and you're spinning the, the Who Am I record, please hear the good news. You have a great advantage. God is with you. Moses, he isn't sold. He says, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? What should I tell them? This is an ancient time of religious pluralism. There's like over 2,000 uh, pagan deities of Egyptian uh, you know, religion. I'm not really sure the Hebrew understanding. Like, like what do they know of God? You know, they, they probably have heard the stories. They, they have some folk traditions perhaps passed down. Egypt is bustling with a plurality of religious activity. What name does Moses tell them? Who, who is this? So God gives this powerful answer. He says, I am who I am. In Hebrew, yeah, Asher, yeah. I am who I am. That's what you say. I am has sent me. Now our English word God, G-O-D, it's not a name. The Hebrew uh, word for, for God is Elohim. And that's not a name either. That's like a title. Okay. Here we are given God's name. God says, I am who I am. Also, I will be who I will be. So without going into a big Hebrew uh, grammar lesson today, Akiah is the first person form of the verb to be. However, in verse 15, God switches to the third person singular, which we think is pronounced like this, Yahweh, Yahweh, which means he is. So God's saying, tell them Yahweh has sent you. His name means he is or the one who is. The one who is has sent you, Yahweh. The one who is. This is such a profound statement about God's character. About who God is. Uh, scholar Tim Mackey puts it this way. For example, if Yahweh is merciful, Yahweh is the perfect meaning and example of what it means to be merciful. He is who he is. He is the one. The one who is. And so God says to Moses... This is what you say to the people. Yahweh, the Elohim, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they have sent me. Or God has sent me to you. So what's happening here, 
God is attaching himself to this family. We've kind of touched on this before. Yahweh is attached and known to these family stories and experiences. God wants to be known in a context. Who is Yahweh? Who is Yahweh? Well, remember when Yahweh did this. Remember that Abraham story. Remember when he took his son up the mountain. Remember when Rebecca was pregnant with twins. Not our Rebecca today, but you know, yeah. Re- remember Joseph. Remember that story of like, why were even in Egypt? What was Yahweh up to when? God wants to be known in a context, and God says that Yahweh says, "This is my name forever. The name." You shall call me from generation to generation. Forever and always, he is the one. Forever and always, he is the one. From family to family, from generation to generation, from church to church, Yahweh is his name. And the good news is, the one who is with this family is certainly with Moses. And so the one who is has called you Moses. The one who is is with you, Moses. The one who is is sending you, Moses. And this is just a fantastic moment in the whole story of the Bible. Because the one who is creator, the one who is redeemer, the one who is in covenant, the one who is on mission, the one who stands with the oppressed, the one who is making his presence known to Moses and then eventually the big family, throughout the whole entire Old Testament and even into the New Testament, The Bible keeps pointing back to this great liberation event that God is doing. This great act of redemption that we call the Exodus, or even sometimes more narrow to point out the Passover. Like, like the Bible keeps pointing back to this. Throughout Scripture, we keep getting reminded of the God who's on mission to liberate his image bearers. We need this reminder. Because often we get so used to being just sinful, messed up humans, we need to hit the pause button. We need to remember it's not supposed to be this way. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, let's remember. Yahweh's awesome. And actually, like, the best chance that I have in life, the best thing that I actually have going on in my life is doing life with Yahweh. And this, I believe, is one of the core purposes of the worship gathering, among other things. But we come together and we remember and we reorient our life into the life of the one who is. There's a lot of noise. There's chaos. There's just a bunch of mixture out there. But we come together. It's almost like an act of rebellion. I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way. Worship is an act of rebellion. We're rebelling against the idols of this world. We're coming together and we're being uh, reminded and we are just calibrating our, our lives back into the life of the one who is. We worship the one who is. We worship the one who saves us. And by the way, to say Yahweh saves To say Yahweh saves is to say Yeshua, or how we say it in English, Jesus. 
We believe that the best way to see Yahweh is to look at Jesus, the one who saves us, Yahweh in the flesh. Real quick, jumping way ahead to Matthew chapter 1, an angel visits Joseph in a dream and tells Joseph to name their unborn child Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. You guys recall the Christmas story? Also, this child is going to have a theological nickname. Call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The God who is, is the one who is with us, who is for us, the one who saves us. And the one who saves is meeting with Moses in his brokenness and now wants to use him as a blessing. Let's recall, Moses has been trained up, educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, raised as a prince, ate well, probably has like healthy bones, got enough calcium and all that stuff, you know, good teeth. He, he started off well. However, after becoming a fugitive, he's now lived a hard desert life for a good long while. And I'm sure this was a humbling experience. And now God is calling him. Meets him where he's at. Hey, are you Hebrew? Are you Egyptian? Are you royalty? Are you a, a fugitive? Are you a Midianite? Like, like who, who, who are you? God meets Moses where he's at. He's calling Moses. He says, I'm going to use you as a blessing. But as we look at this pattern... Often brokenness comes before the blessing. A pattern emerges with Moses. Other Bible characters are like as well. The pattern goes like this. Excuse me. People are built up or broken down, which usually comes with a moment, two or three of surrender. We finally give ourselves over to God. We're like, all right, you know what? I'm not fighting anymore. Here I am. And then God scoops us up. And uses us as a blessing. As we go through life, we'll attain education and experiences. We accumulate stuff. We develop skills. Perhaps we learn languages. We build relationships. We, we have connections. We, we network. We know people. We grow as human beings. And I just want to encourage you right now that I want you to see all of life is one big school. All of life is just filled with opportunity for building up, for training. Even the, the, the not-so-good experiences, you know, we can learn from them. And what's really cool is when you start to give these things over to Jesus, we find out that, that Jesus doesn't really seem to care if our skills and, and our, you know, our, our skills and our training... He doesn't seem to care if we label them as spiritual or unspiritual. It's like he's not really interested in that definition. He's going to use our skills, our training, our experiences for the kingdom of God. Moses is a great example of that. He had a pagan education, Egyptian education, and God's like, yeah, like I'll use it. I'll repurpose it. Life is filled with opportunities of being built up. And also there are times where we break down. We hit a brick wall. We run out of gas. Sometimes the, the symptoms look like exhaustion, anxiousness. We get prickly. 
We might explode at our spouses or kids. We give in to temptation. We get prideful. We try to control the whole situation. We, we try to control others, and then eventually we find out we're just not in control at all. Things fall apart. Sometimes life just blows up, and we are blown out of the water, and there is just absolutely nothing we can do. The good news is Jesus is with you in your brokenness. Your brokenness can become a pathway to surrender. And the path to surrender leads to Jesus. We come to the end of ourselves and we say, Oh Lord, there must be so many broken pieces at the foot of the cross. But here I am, Lord. That little itch to be our own God, that same itch that Adam and Eve had, that needs to go. The hands of of Jesus want to hold you, but he's not going to force himself on you. You have to say yes. You have to surrender. Hold me, Jesus. I'm giving my life into the hands of Jesus. Then we're invited to pick up our cross and follow him. But let's be real. It doesn't come with shoulder pads. We embrace that cross. We're like, okay, Jesus. Here we go. Let's do it. And the good news is, on the other side of surrender, new life emerges. Turns out, our brokenness is the furniture of our blessing. It just needed to be rearranged and polished up. God uses our life. God redeems all the broken pieces, all the, the broken furniture in our spiritual living room. God just fixes it up polishes it, rearranges it. He empowers us with his Holy Spirit. Jesus says, you know what? Yeah, you don't need to go alone. I'm with you. In fact, I'm giving you my Holy Spirit. My power, my presence will be with you. And I'm reminded of a saying in, in, uh, in and around ministry. It goes something like this. God usually doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. Jesus takes us and releases us into blessings. Jesus launches us out into the world. So brothers and sisters, life is filled with a bunch of of mixture, of building up, breaking down, and being used as a blessing. Where are you this morning? Are you in a time of building up, breaking down? Is God using you? Probably the answer is yes to all of those. He takes us in. We're being trained up for something. And someday he'll, he'll reveal that to us. And then in hindsight, we're like, yes, now I know why God had me do that. Now it makes sense. Quick story. I've shared this before. You know, I was a quiet kid growing up. One of my summer jobs in college, like in between school years, was I worked at the Gettysburg Museum and Visitor Center. And if you know that place, they, that's where they have this historic cyclorama, which is a big painting that goes around one big circle, 360 degrees. Part of my job that summer was to be the person who like 
gives like a little public presentation and speaks about it. And so even now, like, as I reflect, like, I had no idea that I would have to speak publicly once a week. Every weekend, you're going to be speaking publicly. You're going to be making the content, and you're just going to be, you're just going to have to do it, Cam. You're going to be a preacher someday. I didn't know that, but as I look back, I'm like, oh, wow, like, actually, having that summer job starting to make sense. Oh, that was like training grounds. God was getting me used to speaking in public. Life is a mixture building up, breaking down, and being used as a blessing. Sometimes we feel dialed in with God. Sometimes it feels like God sat down on the bench and like left our heart there. Like, where are you, God? What's going on? But when we let the Bible inform us of who God is, He is the one who is. He is the one who observes, hears, and knows, even if we don't always see it or feel it. God is the one who will cry with us, will laugh with us. He is the one who washes our feet. He is the one who holds us. He is the one who calls us and sends us. He is with us. He is with us, and he knows your context. He is the one that we worship, the one who is, the one who saves. And so, in our story, Moses isn't fully surrendered yet. But I invite all of you to come back next week as we continue to see God's reluctant liberator drag his feet just a little bit more. Let's pray.